Hello, and thank you for joining us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 22, where we'll be talking about the two-hour season finale of the CBS summer series Extant. First episode was titled Double Vision, and the second was called The Greater Good, and they both aired on September 9th, 2015. And Double Vision was written by Pamela Davis and Leslie Boehm and directed by Christine Moore. And of course, The Greater Good, the finale, the true finale, was written by showrunners who also wrote the premiere of season two, Craig Shapiro and Liz Krueger. And it was directed by Adam Kane. And I want to just lead in with the fact that I'm very excited to be able to tell our listeners, and I'm not sure what form it will take, so I'm going to try and be a little bit vague about it, but we will be talking to the showrunners and maybe even the show creator, uh, Mickey Fisher, to do a debrief after season two. So actually there will be some bonus content after this episode. Yeah. And the fact that we don't know whether or not we've got a season three, and obviously we'll talk about this episode as a potential series finale i mean it's exciting maybe maybe we'll get some breaking news in this interview yeah some scoops as it were so yeah we're very excited uh to be able to talk to some of the most important people behind the scenes of extant and you can just ask pretty much anything like if you were interviewing an actor you'd have to ask them specific questions to their character but i love talking to the executive producers because (laughs) it's all open-ended you can just go wild. So I'm really looking forward to talking to them. Well, that's the thing, you know, with the actors, and we've certainly done this a number of times with Continuum, they tell us, and and of course it's true, they just don't know. (laughs) Until they get the script, they don't know anything. Exactly. And these guys wrote the Bible. So come on. Exactly. So it's going to be fun. We're going to have lots of fun and and maybe we'll have to solicit some questions from our listeners to, uh, as we lead up to that. We're going to do that next week. It might be right around the same time as we uh, release our regular podcast. We'll see. But I like to mention the guest stars that show up on the show, and they've definitely gotten a great bunch of guest actors to star in Extant. And I was wondering, who's voicing the voice of Taylor? So I had to look that up, and apparently there was a tweet that I must have missed from the Extant CBS Twitter account that says it's Dermot Mulrooney. Or Mulroney. How do you pronounce that? (laughs) I think it's Mulrooney, but uh, the fact that you didn't know who he was tells me that you don't watch enough chick flicks sorry guys (laughs) yeah well i totally recognize him when i see his picture and the name is definitely familiar but i don't know what i've seen him in he's one of those actors where he's been in a lot of stuff that you've seen i think and his voice is incredibly recognizable and perfect for an artificial intelligence (laughs) all right well why don't we talk about the ratings to end up things right (laughs) you know they they've just been steady and yeah, it is what it is. 0.7, a three share, 4.5 million viewers. And and again, we're, we're kind of repeating ourselves that on the night, 4.5 million viewers is right there with every other show. It's just that it's skewed a little bit older. Right. The 0.7 is lower than a lot of the other shows that get 4.5 million viewers. Right. But that's okay. It's like, I guess... People are necessarily aren't necessarily uh, tuning into CBS to find shows like this, to find their genre programming. So I think they're definitely making some inroads now that Under the Dome and Extant have sort of paved the way. Yeah. And you wonder with all the news about the young people not being able to find work. Hey, you know, maybe it's us old people that are spending the money. So come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They should make that the key demographic. Yep. Yeah. We had a lot of fun talking about Extant this season and 
definitely looking forward to hearing news of season three. I'm going to go ahead and work with the assumption that that we will be seeing a season three. But the great thing about this episode is that it could act as a series finale, right? It would be very satisfying to me if the, if that's what it was. And I, I know some would argue that it left too many threads open, but that's okay. We've talked about this many times. We're fine with open-ended finales, whether season or series. Yeah, Dave and I like the leaving certain things to the imagination of the viewer. So we know we're not in the majority on that, but we, we like that. So I think we're probably going to get into that right here at the beginning. So let's go ahead and get into our episode discussion. All right. Well, you know, Mike, just some opening thoughts. And you and I have talked about this and we could attempt to pick apart the science in the show. <laughs> and, you know, if we really wanted to get into a lot of research, okay, fine. But, you know, I don't like doing that. And, and you know, I recorded one of those short podcasts on Sci-Fi TV Rewatch the, about the film Lucy. And it's like these same critics that are criticizing the science in that film. Oh, they're fine with time travel and zombies, Walking Dead. Oh, and it's like, come on, just get past that. And like, in other words, if it's based in real science, they want it to be super real. They're not willing to make allowances. Right. And I would just argue that it's more important to look at the broad thematic ideas. And and certainly Extant has that all over the place. Yeah. So a lot of the things we'll hear from our listeners in our in our feedback segment are definitely going to be critical of certain aspects of the science and some of the dialogue and things like that. But when it boils down to it. Extant has told a rock solid story with some great morality issues and themes to noodle through. I mean, it's basically been one of the most discussable shows that we've ever podcasted about. Yeah. And, and look, were there a few pieces of dialogue that, uh, <laughs> y- you know, I wish were sure, but that's fine. And the other thing that struck me about this episode, and, and again, this seems to be inherent in all the genre shows that we watch, is that they're always a character or characters that get to a point where they're seeking redemption for previous acts and it just seemed like there were a lot of them in this episode and maybe even redemption's too strong a word but we certainly do have a bunch of characters trying to rectify poor or ill-advised prior decisions and the first one that comes to my mind is of course jd seems to be making up for whatever happened in k2 oh well i think jd has had a pretty good redemption arc especially when he had those conversations with Toby. But you're right. There are a lot of redemption storylines. And I think one of the ones that comes up in this episode that we're probably going to have a little bit of an issue with is the very quick turnaround for Lucy and how we're not quite sure if that's earned and maybe we're hoping for something else. So uh, there's going to be a couple of those where, where it might have stuttered a bit, but I do like those kinds of stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even Eris, you could argue there. Yeah, same deal there. Right. I mean, he, he certainly had had a combative approach towards humans. And then, you know, at the, at the last second, Molly convinces him. And, you know, certainly we see that scene at the end where she is given the press conference and asks him to stand. And, and you know, we don't know. Is he going to follow her or is he going to, you know, have second thoughts about what he's done? And he's one of the few people that has a redemption that is still alive because of course Stanton earns a little bit of redemption in helping our heroes. But unfortunately she's cut very short in this episode. And I kind of feel bad about that as well. I'm not quite sure 
how much satisfaction I get from Lucy and Stanton and Aries making their changes of heart. Right. And the interesting thing with Stanton is that she's just been on a roller coaster ride that, you know, when we first saw her, she didn't even really want to make any decisions. She wanted to pass them on to Taylor, who at that time we thought was actually a human being. Yeah. And we thought she thought that, too. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, Charlie, who nearly didn't survive uh, for his redemptive scene, you know, and, and I guess for him, you know, that whole buying into or or just basically kowtowing to whatever Anna wanted he and Julie to do with the program, even though he instinctively knew it was wrong. Yeah, Charlie did some really crazy stuff in this episode. So, yeah, especially at the beginning, I'm not sure how I feel about all these different... <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, though. It made for a very action-packed two hours, such that I honestly couldn't even tell you where one episode ended and the other began. And... I sort of just blinked and I was already three quarters of the way through the two hours. Right. And, you know, that's one of the things I'm dying to ask uh, Mickey Fisher and, and Craig Shapiro, Liz Kruger, is that, you know, how much lead time do you have for a double episode? And do you make any concessions when you find out, you know, maybe you thought they were going to be separate and then all of a sudden the network tells you no. Yeah. And did you do you have to tweak it a little bit to make it work better as a two hour episode yeah that's a good question yeah because this was really seamless and and not that the other ones weren't but i think this was as seamless as anything could possibly be the one thing i wonder is do you have to cut out an epilogue you know like what if there had been an epilogue for this first episode did they just kind of have to cut that and keep going right right (laughs) now the other thing that it seems as if it happens a lot in genre television why do the humanics never finish the job just why does she shoot him in the shoulder you know, for instance, Molly X. And there's a lot of things like that. And I think you do have to chalk that up to things that happen <laughs> with bad guys in movies and television. It's the stormtrooper syndrome where they just constantly miss with their laser guns. <laughs> yeah, but Molly X is supposed to be the upgraded version and she was only like about four feet away. But <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. So why don't we jump into the episode per se. Opening scene, we see Stanton talking to the president who we learn is a woman and the president in no uncertain terms tells her to find Molly Woods. And and I think we can read between the lines, find her and kill her. Yeah. And Stanton's kind of frustrated because she's got every single humanic on the job, which like you just mentioned, kind of begs the question how they're feeling so badly, but it is something that Stanton's working hard on. And from the very start, I think Stanton is wondering how much she's even able to do when there's bigger crises at hand to find Molly, because right. that's definitely not the most important thing right now. Yeah. And I guess you could argue that part of the humanics problem once they're in the field is a lack of experience. I mean, I suppose you can program in certain things, but perhaps it's just unlike Lucy, who's actually been in the field, albeit, you know, minimally compared to them, they have no experience. Yeah. They're fresh, fresh yep. off the assembly line. <laughs> yep. Well, we see that scene where an unidentified male is trying to hang himself, and, and we kind of think it's Charlie. I don't know. I had no idea who it was. I certainly didn't think it was Charlie. Yeah, well, I wasn't sure, but uh, you know, I'd written in my notes, Charlie, question mark. And we don't see too much humor in this series, which is fine. J.D. gets all the best lines, of course. Yeah. <laughs> he, Molly, and Ethan go to Julie's. They find Charlie hanging. Is he dead? No, he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of 
a gruesome thing, especially for Ethan to be the one, because he just kind of breaks in with his little uh, <laughs> hacking of Charlie's lock, lets them in there, and he's one of the first people to see Charlie hanging there. So I wonder how much trauma Ethan feels as a humanic. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing that st- strikes me about Ethan, it just seemed to me that in this episode, he seemed much more adult yeah, than he's yeah. ever seen before. I agree. And that, like you said, you know, would that have caused any trauma? And I'm guessing no, that he would look at it maybe more pragmatically. Okay, good. He's not dead. He's alive. He's drunk. Okay. He's upset because he thinks Julie's dead. Well, maybe she's not dead, he says. Yeah, I think he's more curious about Charlie's reaction than he is appalled. Yeah. All right, so then we cut to Stanton, who is exhorting Lucy to kill Molly. We learn that a thousand more Humanics are going to roll off the assembly line the next day. Uh, This process has really been ramped up, so we don't know how many thousands they have online, but they're coming out pretty quickly. Yeah, and they're not all just in this one area, which lends a little bit of credibility to why certain areas are not necessarily guarded by hundreds and hundreds of Humanics, because... I would assume Taylor's already putting into place the omnipresence of the Humanics. And we see a little bit of it, definitely get some hints that the public at large is noticing that their streets are being policed now by the Humanics and the police state has begun. Right. Like you said, I mean, one Euclid, if it's the epicenter of everything, you'd think it would have had a few more Humanics than it had. Right. Exactly. That's how I'm explaining it, that they were in use elsewhere. Right. So. Why does Stanton trust Lucy so much? I mean, does she feel like she has no other choice? I think that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably that she knows that Lucy has the most experience and was had made one of the first hybrid kills. So Lucy is the one to go with. Right. Now, you mentioned the first stages of a police state and, you know, we're at that outdoor bazaar. And it's eerily reminiscent for me of of Nazi Germany, the black clad soldiers patrolling the street, you know, the PA system telling people what to do, what not to do. And and you see that there's a little grumbling among the citizenry, but it's almost as if they're afraid to voice it too loudly. And of course, we see that J.D.'s wife is among the people that are browsing through the market. And so she's hearing it, too. Now. It's interesting to make a judgment call here. Do you think Dorothy has been wedged into this episode a bit? Because obviously Tara stumbling upon her, a bloody wounded Tara, I guess was using her mental powers to track down someone, anyone. And she's able to see that Dorothy knows JD and that she's involved and perhaps can get her to some help. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And I've thought a lot about Dorothy in the context of the show and and what her purpose is, what her role is. And I really like it. I mean, she does seem to humanize JD a little bit more that we see him as this really soldier kind of figure and this really gruff guy, but it's almost, she, she brings out a softer side in him. You know, she talks about when she was pregnant with their daughter and, then, you know, that whole scene where he's telling her about his insurance policy, and I, I guess he means not necessarily like a, an official life insurance policy, but there's something in that safe that's under the floorboards at their uh, cabin. So we don't know what it is, but... He's going to provide for them if he should die. And, and I think that carries throughout most of that first episode is J.D.'s sense of fatalism in him already. Yeah. Now, were you a little surprised that when 
Taylor tells Lucy that even though Calderon's in custody, that he gave something to Molly that poses a threat. I was a little surprised that he didn't really have more information about it. Yeah, all he knew was that Calderon obviously must have made a huge step in getting himself to the safety deposit box. So whatever he got out of there must be important. He just doesn't know how. But yeah, that is surprising that he doesn't know exactly what was done. Right. And then, of course, there are a lot of decisions that have to be made in this episode. Uh, Of course, there always are week to week. But Charlie's bemoaning the fact that he unleashed this monster on the world, referring, of course, to Lucy. And when Molly says, what if you could destroy the monster? He's on board with that. And, you know, it's funny because John was never one of my favorite characters and his approach, his manner was was a bit off putting for me. But like you just said here at the end, it's like, yeah. John was right about a lot of things. Yeah, in fact, he steps out of the shadows now, coming into play twice. In the previous episode, he was the one that, or I guess two episodes ago, he was the one that put them on the path to find that amulet and find Calderon to find that failsafe because he triggered that automatic message in Ethan. Whenever a Humanic killed a human, it would trigger this message. And now this episode, he's actually got more to say about the survival of Ethan when they have to take things down and and the firewall that pops up. So the fact that John Woods is coming out of the woodwork, I think is a pretty cool, perhaps a little bit deus ex machina, but at the same time, I like it. Well, I like it too. And, and, and I know what you mean, but on the other hand, you look at men as brilliant as he and Calderon and the fact that they built in these fail safe programs I I mean, that just seems to make sense. That would be logical, I think. And it shows his genius, because obviously it must have taken a fair amount of genius to build Taylor and the Humanics. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got two basic storylines as we go through three quarters of these two episodes. And the first one is the plan to shut down Taylor. And then, of course, the other is Taylor's attempt to prevent that from happening so that he can remain autonomous. So why don't we go ahead and start with the plan to shut down Taylor. And we learn right away some more information about the pendant, that it's nanotech, a self-replicating worm that, that once inserted, and it's, it's always a flash drive. Yeah, well, sort of. I'm not sure yeah. if that was USB or what that was, but <laughs> yeah, definitely something that goes in a port. Exactly. So that uh, Charlie suggests, and rightly so, that Taylor's far too sophisticated to let Molly get close enough because I think she just thought, okay, I'm going to go in and pop it in. Everything's good. And, <laughs> and maybe I'm oversimplifying, but but still, I think he's bringing the reality to just how sentient Taylor has become. Well, and that's why I love the fact that this first version of the plan fails uh, because people are really reacting, I think, to this episode being kind of pat and quick and all that. But at the same time, it's not like they just waltzed in and finished it off. They tried and failed the first time around. So, you know, they start off with that map that Calderon gave them of the inside of one Euclid, which is basically a maze that I just love how Molly just, yeah, I think I got it memorized (laughs) after two seconds. Okay. And I have to be honest, I put one Euclid into anagram generators (laughs) <laughs> to see if it, I know I can't help you it. never know. <laughs> I know I know but nothing came up at least nothing that made any sense to me but you know so JD of course suggests well why don't we just blow the whole damn thing up which I guess on the surface isn't necessarily a bad plan but when Charlie tells him it controls one half of the country 
And of course, I'm thinking like, like revolution, the whole system would come crashing down. A surgical strike would be much more successful, but somebody's going to die. So now we don't know who that's going to be. Yeah. And this was interesting because <laughs> this plan that they have is pretty bold, but the surgical strike idea is like, how would they ex exactly accomplish something like that? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm a huge World War II buff. Uh -huh. And while I've certainly seen my fair share of World War II movies, I've certainly seen enough documentaries. And, you know, there were a lot of missions in World War II that, in retrospect, you would argue, it's like, how the hell did they pull that off? It, <laughs> you know, because they depended on so many things going right. And, and that's like here. And, and some might say, oh, well, that's, you know, not realistic. But yeah, I'm okay. Again, I'm okay with that. And I like that they, from the very beginning, use everyone, including Ethan, who is a key part of this plan, as he shows up at Stanton's, who immediately suspects something. And so does Lucy, of course. Hi, little brother, you know. But she does agree to go off with him because, you know, you could get the sense that Stanton did have some misgivings last week. So she's probably willing to give Ethan the benefit of the doubt for now. But at the same time, she does tell Lucy to monitor any communications that might come into Ethan while they're talking. Right. And you know what? I really had no idea where we were headed with this meeting with Stanton. And I don't know. At one time in my life, I was fascinated, read everything I could get my hands on about virtual reality. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking like, gosh, this is so cool. Why am I, why haven't I read anything about it lately? So that you know, when he's talking about devising a code scrambler for Molly to use and all that, and even seeing the glasses, I'm, I'm like, it still didn't hit me. Yeah, they are sitting in that virtual room together, but Ethan has to introduce the idea of talking to Molly, and he won't let her do it until she agrees to certain conditions. And so he tells her what's really been going on. And in the movies, they always shake hands. And if you're honorable, which I think you are... <laughs> then the deal will be sealed. So I really like that Ethan has that sense of morality that comes from uh, pop culture. <laughs> yeah, and I just love the handshake. I mean, just the little man. Again, he's just so adult-like in this episode. Puts his hand out and you can see, gives her a good, firm handshake. And at that point, I think we think she's honorable. Yeah. But we're not sure. Yeah, I took it the same way that Ethan did, that she was an honorable person. And if he approached it that way, then she would hold up her end of the deal. And she sort of did, even though she's already told Lucy to monitor the communications. So they know that they've only got 45 seconds or whatever it is to talk. And so he gives her those VR glasses so that they can talk. And Molly lays it all out for her. Right. Now, one of the things that I, that I generally have a problem with, and they did it twice in this episode, is when there's a timer <laughs> going down that we go down to. Now, they went down to zero in the VR uh, situation yeah, yeah. and then when julie was in agashid they went down to zero oxygen and that too it's like come on can't we ever just go down to like seven <laughs> that's right and you save them yeah technically they should have gotten the trace because she took them off after zero yeah now but. the other thing i was thinking about i wonder if virtual reality will play a role in season three should we get a season three I actually thought it was going to be more of a role in season two because it started off with her having those therapy sessions in VR. Remember that? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, Molly lays out the fact that Taylor 
exploited fears, making it appear that the hybrids were responsible as an excuse to increase production of the humanics. You know, of course, we knew that. I guess Molly, again, felt like she had no other option to you know, reveal the plan to Stanton because, as she says, we need your help if we're going to do this. We have a plan, but you're part of that plan. And then, of course, she says she's got to check with the president, which Molly you know, has a problem with and, and rightly so, because any added communication just makes it likely that Taylor will pick up on what's going on. Yeah. And they do skip over a little bit. I, I get the impression by the end of the conversation that she hasn't gotten too far with Stanton other than laying it out for her. But eventually Stanton does agree kind of off camera, actually, to take out the power grid for them, which was a kind of a difficult thing for her to do. She had to run that simulation and everything. So they do get Stanton's agreement, but obviously they have to do it in a very short amount of time. Ethan has left while they were on the phone call, the virtual phone call, but has left her a note to make sure she checks those drone logs because part of that conversation was the fact that Taylor was the one responsible for the death of Shepard and perhaps John as well. Right. And you know, of course, that's an easy enough thing to check, although as it turns out, it was just difficult to get information uh, because as they find out, it's like, okay, we know one was launched the evening that he was killed, but we can't find out who was responsible for it. Yeah, that's not proof. <laughs> exactly. Oh, although it's circumstantial evidence and, uh, right. you know, they put people in prison on that. But she does seem, Stanton, that is genuinely affected by Molly's plea. So, so certainly there is hope that she's going to come along. Now, after attending to Tara's wound, which was inflicted by a humanic soldier, J.D. and his ex-wife oversee her sleeping, all the while reminiscing about their past, which, which is a scene I really did like. Because, again, as I said, I like that softer side of J.D. We don't see it very often. And, and we understand that because of the situation that's, that's unfolding around him. Yeah, and it allows them to work on the idea that Molly doesn't want him to die and all that stuff, too. So she actually... Uh, Dorothy, that is, is instrumental in helping get some of the messages across that Molly has been able to get across to him. And JD kind of resents that, actually. But they do have some nice moments where we actually get the sense that Dorothy might still care for JD in more than just an ex-wife kind of way. Well, well, see, I think she does. I think she's realizing that, you know, and if she even tells him, you know, you're a good man. And, and look, obviously, when you're married to somebody like he is, and of course, she's a judge. I mean, you can see how things maybe went awry in their marriage. But but it, I did get the feeling that she really did love him. And you know, that little scene where he's telling her about the insurance policy, that the combination is our wedding anniversary. And of course, then we cut to, you know, where we see Molly's listening at the door. And obviously it would be easy to get into the whole love triangle thing here. But I guess what struck me more than anything else is the fact that, okay, JD's going to be the one that sacrifices himself for the greater good. Or at least that's what he thinks is going to happen. <laughs> like, I feel like he thinks whatever their mission is that he's not coming out of it, not just because of Molly's prophetic vision, but because he plans on making sure he's the one to take on the greatest danger. Okay. Because what are the other options? Charlie, right. Julie, who's missing Ethan, you know, he's not going to let Molly do it. Yeah. Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So she tells JD that she knows it's a suicide mission and he thinks she's trying to talk him out of it. And, and then we get into this whole, you know, he's blaming Molly 
for uh, telling her that's just like she loves you you dummy <laughs> i love that yeah she put you up this didn't she <laughs> but yeah it's making me believe that jd possibly has bought into the death vision that molly's had right and and again just as she says jd you're a good man we get to see that you know dorothy is a good woman i think she's still in love with him but she sees that he's perhaps in love with molly more than her and you know just wants him to be happy yeah yeah and that's a nice resolution for that character yep all right uh, now talking about resolutions for characters i mean we i'd forgotten all about tara and it was great to see her and she played an integral role in this episode so molly's talking to her about the approaches taken by eris adu and her because you know, Tara's still a child in most ways, and I think Molly needed to lay it out for her that these are the decisions you're making and, and these are, you know, the outcomes that are going to result from those decisions. And I think Tara is coming around to the idea that there are good humans and bad humans. There are good humanics and bad humanics. There are good hybrids and bad hybrids. So you can't necessarily follow Aries just because he got a specific vision of of how humans are right and i guess and i haven't read any criticism on on this episode at all uh, i i will down the road but i'm sure some of the critics had a problem with this it's like okay it's a little over the top and then when she says in the end it's kindness and compassion that'll save us all and she's right it is yeah well i mean there was some stilted dialogue in this episode but i don't think that was one of them <laughs> oh no no i don't either but i can see people being critical of that yeah. When, when I think that says it beautifully. I mean, that really is true. I, I mean, it's it's as true for their world as it is for ours. That's true. Right. Yeah. All right. So then we see Stanton and Molly meeting again in VR. I, I, I love it. You know, it's got that 2001 Space Odyssey quality. You know, you know with the, the white, white room. <laughs> right. The stark surroundings. Yeah, I really loved it. But she tells Molly that the humanics have the virus plan to unleash it on those world cities and there are six hours to stop them i love that scene too where they're handing them out and lucy's just reciting the different city names that they're going to because it reminded me of 12 monkeys where the virus is being dispersed to different cities by one person certainly and and that's true for the movie and for the tv show but it still reminded me of that kind of a very unsettling image of all these virus dispersers on the various planes right and, and setting up the situation where the planes can't be recalled you know and, and that this is step one in wiping out the human race and, and you know we find out that it's not only airborne but it's apparently waterborne as well yeah so this could really get out and this is the first iteration of the virus that nate and his team had worked on to try and wipe out the hybrids but this is one that wipes out both hybrids and humans so the humanics are definitely going for an elimination of both of the opposing factions. Right. Now, this leads into the scene where Stanton brings her team together to run that simulated shutdown of power grids. Right. So that's what I was a little confused about, because she was selling it as a simulation to her team. I think the simulation was what they would do after the power grid was shut down. That part was simulated. But what she was trying to get to her team to understand, and they were kind of surprised, was that in order to do it, they actually had to actually shut down the power grid right. to run the simulation. So, yeah, that was the one part that wasn't simulated. 
Right. And at this point, you're wondering what she up to is. Is she really trying to help Molly? And I mean, of course, in retrospect, we know that she was. Well, that's the thing. It, it, she, we skipped over a lot there. We didn't get to see her actually agree to it. We were just told by Molly that Stanton was on board with the power grid idea. So right, right. now she's certainly a strong character. But I guess it got me to thinking that is her team so afraid of her that they don't vigorously question what they're doing here it's like again they made it sound as if it was going to be much more far-reaching although it looked like the whole state of california yeah that's quite a uh, far-reaching power grid right Uh, without having given anybody notice i mean it's one thing if you give people you know a week's notice that hey from this time to this time there's going to be no power and and no Hey, okay, they went along with it. <laughs> yep, that's what I think. It's, her part was not an easy part to uh, fulfill. Yep. Can I just say I love Richard the robot? Oh, poor Richard. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's really good while he was living here in the first half of the episode. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just was really cool to see Ethan talking to Richard. And, and I, you know, we lose sight of the fact that it's really one machine to another. Right. And it's supposed to be kind of eye opening to see that Richard cannot connect with Ethan on any kind of emotional level when he says, you know what, I'm running out of battery, so I'll need a recharger. But if Richard had not said that, it's likely that Ethan wouldn't had the idea to find Julie through the charging station for her prosthetic legs. So good, good, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. And good writing team. I mean, again, that's not something because I'm sitting here thinking, how the hell are they going to find Julie? Yeah, I liked the method that they came up for it. All right. Well, apparently there was a backup somewhere that nobody knew about. And Taylor never really shuts down. I mean, a couple seconds and then he's back up again. Yeah, I like that. They can't have a rock solid plan. And their little caper is thrown right out the window almost immediately. I like the. I mean, it's interesting because Molly and Tara were the only hybrid power being used after JD and his friend are fired upon as they try and leave Molly and Tara have to sweep in and rescue them. But later on, Tara is not part of it. So I like that she had a part here, even though she didn't have a part later because all the different characters basically came into play at some point. Right. And, you know, I mentioned about the humanics that almost as if it's a flaw that they don't kill when they should kill you know, and here, you know, we pretty much know Molly's going to use her glowing eyes trick to disable them. But we wonder, OK, is she going to have them turn on each other the way we've seen in the past? And the answer is no, she doesn't. She just disables them. Right. Which actually gives them a chance to awaken as they leave and f- fire off a couple rounds. So, yeah, it's kind of a risky maneuver. But, yeah, I liked that they did that because I was wondering, why are they just surrounding the Jeep? Oh, wait their minds are being controlled (laughs) right and does molly have the foresight to not kill them because if we're successful then we need to sell the idea of the hybrids simply wanting to live peacefully with everybody else yeah the humanics are the real enemy so we can't be going around killing gsc guards right i mean we're gonna have enough problems getting them to accept the fact that we can read minds and i don't mean that sarcastically Yeah, well, I'm thinking that's going to be a big theme for season three is integrating the hybrids into society with the fact that they can read minds is going to be a real problem for some people. Yeah, well, it's an opportunity, I think, for either Sad Tech or Pyron to make some money (laughs) on some sort of device that can uh, 
block these signals. But all right. So, so Molly tells him now we're down to four hours, decides to enlist the aid of Eris. She says he's close. I can feel it because they need to get into one Euclid, which, by the way, I love the name one Euclid. It is kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> I can't believe that J.D.'s friend bails on them. Yeah. And what is he basing that on? The fact that he's gotten in too deep and and because the the infiltration plan didn't work. He's not willing to risk it anymore? Yeah, I think so. I, I just think he's just somebody that doesn't see the bigger picture or he's just so wrapped up in himself or, or you know, whatever. I would, just was surprised. I, I guess I was just really surprised. Yeah, in that sense, it's another example of they brought in a ma- minor character so that he wasn't just a throwaway earlier on, but he served his purpose just like Tara did in the first mission and didn't come back for the second one. So everyone got their turn, basically. Right. Now, Charlie's despondency over, well, a lot of things. I mean, the fact that he created (laughs) a monster, the fact that he thinks he killed Julie, it has really put him in a bad place. But Ethan shows him that Julie's at the Humanics Lab. He's got his little tablet, and he explains how he figured this out. And then suddenly, it's as if Charlie comes to life and that, that, okay, we're going to find her. Yeah, and, and I like this little piece it delayed Julie long enough to bring her back into the story as well. So I understood Charlie's thoughts that he wasn't going to be able to rescue her in time. And it almost seemed like Lucy was just punishing him and had no regard for whether or not he would find her or not. And it's really an interesting way to keep the character alive, so to speak in the episode, even though we never see her until she's rescued. Exactly. So, yeah, a lot of things were going on in these two episodes. A lot of balls in the air for the juggling act that was the finale. Yep. All right. So Molly and Tara seek out Eris and we find that the surviving hybrids are living underground. And and look, understandably, he's angry because he feels like Molly sold them out. And, And, you know, she even admits, look, I did some wrong things. I made some mistakes. But here we are now and we need your help. Yeah. Our enemy is not human. And the only way we're going to get this done is by teaming up humans and hybrids. Yep. And we don't see, you know, what happens after that. Clearly, he buys into her argument. And, you know, when you think about it, it really does make sense. All right. Now, Ethan and Charlie track Julie's location and they get close. Uh, their security drones, which were very cool, by the way. And then they realize, OK, we've got the right coordinates And then suddenly one of them decides, well, what about elevation? Yeah. Below sea level. What's that? (laughs) That's almost the way he said it, you know, Uh, which obviously he has to know what that means. But the real Molly finds J.D. bleeding on the floor. And, and, you know, of course, now we've got our answer uh, about what happened. And we'll talk about, you know, that more when we look at Taylor's attempt to, uh, you know, prevent all of this from happening. But. Molly gives him some of her hybrid blood because he's dying. Julie's oxygen levels down to zero. So we've you know, got those two stories counterbalancing each other. Yeah, they're happening simultaneously, cutting back and forth between Molly sh- shooting him in batches of two or three shots at a time, right? Yeah, which was pretty cool. And she knows exactly what she's doing. She knows that this is going to help him heal from a very mortal wound. She doesn't know anything more than that about what the effects will be, but she had to make a judgment call. And that's going to come back at her later. But I like that they were having both JD and Julie kind of return from the dead at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And they get Julie out just in time. 
can you walk? Charlie asks. I'm thinking like, dude, she's got magic legs. Come on. <laughs> like Forrest Gump. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, look, as an English teacher and, you know, you were an English teacher, uh, uh, boy, you got a lot of teaching tools if you want to talk about dramatic irony here. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and JD regains consciousness. He sees Molly cleaning blood off herself, and we know what's going to go through his his head. And we're like, no, dude, she's the good Molly. And she has no idea that he would even suspect her at all. Exactly. But she she's seen and he's seen now that this is the fulfillment of her prophecy. Right. So Molly must be thinking, wait a minute, I didn't do this. How did this how did this come from my dream where I was the one holding the gun? So yeah, obviously we know what's going on where she doesn't. Which begs the question, where did the dream come from? I mean, you know, how did she dream that? Yeah, the prophecy idea is problematic for me too. Just like I have a problem even though it was really cool what uh Aries and his team did with their little EMP pulse that they sent out uh to knock out the power. Right. I always have a problem with the powers that these hybrids have. And, and so the fact that Molly has these prophetic powers is kind of like an addendum. It's not really part of the mythos that's been built up around these hybrids, but is it just her that experiences them? Are all the hybrids capable of that? I don't know. Right. Well, f- to be fair, the hybrids were holding hands when they, <laughs> Oh, okay. When they took it <laughs> but no, you raise a good point. And do we assume that they all have the same powers? Uh, I would say that's probably a bad assumption to make. I, again, is she clairvoyant? Does she see the future? Does she? But the problem is here that neither Molly nor JD even know about Molly X. So they're completely and utterly confused. Right. And it takes Charlie, Julie, and Ethan to come in. Molly tells them it's not safe and they've got to leave. So, you know, we're starting to get things uh, sorted out a little bit. Now, another fundamental question has been posed and, and you started alluding to this a minute or so ago did molly have the right to give jd her blood knowing what the outcome might be yeah that's a tricky one i think she had to make a judgment call and that was the only way she was going to save his life but she didn't know if that would make him into a hybrid and that was not her call to make well see now that's where i would disagree i mean i I know what you're saying but I, i guess from my perspective her decision was let him bleed out and die or give him my blood. Yeah. And when it comes down to that, I, I agree with you. I do think that she did the right thing. But it's going to be a question for a lot of people. Do we save humanity and let them be a separate species? Or do the two species merge? And so this is kind of like on a small scale, what the entire human race is going to encounter, perhaps in season three. Right. Do we become an entirely new race altogether across the whole planet? Or do we preserve humanity as a separate species? Right. And not to mention, we've got the humanics looming in the background. Right. And I wonder if they will be looming in the background, I guess, with Taylor's survival and Ethan's survival. But but yeah, some great themes that are posed just in this tiny little thing where Molly's giving JD blood that could be explored in a season-long context. Right. Because at this point, is it a given that he's going to become hybrid and, and that even gets raised? He asks her and she tells him that she doesn't really know. And you know, we go through later on whether, you know, he, he starts feeling effects and we're wondering whether, you know, at first I started thinking like, okay, maybe they sucked all the oxygen out of the room. But then as she mentions, it was more likely his body rejecting her blood. 
Yeah, and I like how that was slowly introduced as an idea. So I'm kind of gl- glad that that was the end result, but it still was kind of a tricky thing for them at the very beginning. Right, and then even trickier still is when they realize that they've got a lot of choices, a lot of options, most of them bad, and they realize somebody's going to have to die for this plan to work, and Ethan makes the call. Let it be me, Mom. Well, especially since this is the point where they realize that if they take out Taylor, it will likely kill Ethan. Now, we knew that. Right. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't think of that, that you know, all of their operating systems apparently run through that main server that Taylor is running. So Charlie basically says, I stopped thinking of him as a humanic. And that's why I didn't think of this fact. Right. And and we talked about it, I think, either last week or the week before, that should this occur, you know, would Ethan be able to upload his consciousness to the cloud again? Yeah. And I guess I thought that's what he might do. Yep. All right. So we see them preparing to go to war. Julie and Charlie are working on some computer virus worm mumbo jumbo something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Molly and JD ready their guns. Ethan readies his little homemade robot. And then that line, the fate of humanity rests in our hands, which, yeah, again, I guess you could say it's perhaps a little hackneyed, but it's true. Uh, I mean, the fact that it's stuck in there during a MacGyver moment when they're all like assembling their little toys, because I think what Charlie was working on might have been his fake amulets uh, and a couple of other things that they worked on, but... I like that Ethan is getting his homemade robots, which play a a key role at the very beginning of their attack as they emit their Delta waves, mimicking the hybrids as they approach the complex. So, yeah, that line is a little bit hokey, but at the same time, it comes during such a great little Ocean's Eleven preparing for the mission, you know? Right, but you know, the, the thing that I do love about that line is the context because as hybrid Molly says it, humanic ethan hybrid we think jd at this point oh yeah part machine julie very good and charlie's like the only pure human left in the group (laughs) that's right yeah this is a melting pot the true integration of all the races yep all right so the plan is to return to one euclid of course as you mentioned guarded by an army albeit a small army of humanics it's all they could spare. <laughs> yep. So, all right. So the other story revolves around Taylor's attempt to prevent this, obviously, from happening. And the first scene we see was awesome with Lucy being shown the Model L Humanic that should be ready the next day. And at this point, we don't see any kind of a face or anything. Yeah. And I was wondering, what is this thing that they're working on? I certainly didn't expect what ended up happening when they put Molly's face on there. So... Yeah, I I was thinking they were just coming up with a... Didn't they say something about adrenaline? There was more anger almost. I think they used the word adrenaline in the model. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, But coming on the heels of that good news, Stanton is told that the drone was launched the night Shepard was killed. Can't determine who was responsible. She's told that the first iteration of the virus that you mentioned, the one that kills humans as well has been stolen from the containment facility. So she's got a lot of balls in the air. And and again, most of them are rather explosive. Yeah, she has to take care of her own job, help Molly and, and their mission and a lot of other things as well. So she is still relying on information from Taylor at this point. And in fact, Lucy meets with Taylor for an update 
And it's clear that they've actually been working for a while, perhaps as far back. I think I, one of our listeners mentioned this, the fact that she was reading the art of war. And remember when she was speaking to a disembodied person way back when, and we had no idea who she was talking to. We never brought up the fact that that was Taylor that she was talking to. Oh, so, and what a chilling scene this was. Yeah. Um, and somebody was reading the art of war in this episode. And I, I yeah, one of the guys on the plane that was getting ready to disperse the virus was reading it. Right. And she asks Taylor whether or not she should terminate Stanton since she can't be trusted because she, of course, knows that Stanton checked the drone logs. Yeah, it's interesting that Taylor wants to keep her around because she could still be useful, but she doesn't live much longer than this. Right. And I guess I was thinking, what use could she possibly be? What can she do that you can't already do yourself? Right. It was basically keeping her around long enough for her to help Molly. (laughs) And then get shot in the head. Well, and, and you know, Taylor has mentioned several times the concept of decision trees and shutting down decision trees. And, and you wonder, I mean, maybe the more decision trees you have open. I mean, look, he is a sh- machine. He is a supercomputer, probably the, the superest computer in the in the world. But still, does he have his limits? Oh, yeah, I definitely think he does. He's obviously limited in his capability to show compassion or anything like that he's very single-minded okay now we don't know who has the virus apparently there's no security footage and obviously later we learn why that is lucy deploys the humanics to a number of world cities then we see molly you know going back to the vr room you know we talked about that earlier to tell stanton to shoot down the planes but of course she can't and she's greeted by lucy instead and we see Stanton and her team are now dead, bullet to the forehead, it looked like. And Lucy is calling off the dogs when the president tries to call and check on what's going on. Everything's under control, Lucy using Stanton's voice, recalling back to when she and Ethan played that game where they traded each other's voices. So definitely a very Terminator-esque moment there. <laughs> right. Now, again, we talked about you know the, the way these plot lines have woven, intersected, whatever, in this episode. Lucy's shown the final version of the L5, and look, anybody that says they thought it would look like Molly, okay, I guess. No, I didn't. (laughs) It didn't occur to me. No. And I'm thinking at this point, ah, faux Molly, not quite as elegant as faux Livia. Oh, right, from Fringe. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, still, and as it turns out, you know, Molly X is pretty cool. That's a good name. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it. So this Molly X meets JD and he's kind of getting suspicious about the things she says, the things she doesn't know. And we realize uh, she's just pumping him for information. And, and he of course gives it to her regarding the amulet. And then she shoots him and like, ah, now we know how he got shot. And that's where the prophecy comes into play. Yeah. He, she didn't realize that she, the real Molly was supposed to have the amulet. That's what made her suspicious, made JD suspicious. So the question now becomes, How did real Molly know that she, quote unquote, shot him? I mean, we talked about it before, but seeing it here played out by Molly X makes you realize that something, some part of Molly, some outside of her force of some kind is telling her, warning her in advance. Do you think the showrunners will tell us if we ask them? (laughs) Hey, what can it hurt? Uh, All right. So. All the humans have been replaced with humanics at one Euclid, Lucy tells Taylor. But when she's told she's no longer in command because Molly X is an upgrade, 
you can see that she's not pleased. And, and again, that's one of the things I love about Lucy and the fact that she is a machine. She is sentient. But like Ethan, she's pretty, pretty damn human as well. Yeah, and I think they did a great job of setting up Lucy's change of heart. This is the first ingredient that Molly X got put in charge ahead of her. So there's some jealousy there. Later on, it's, of course, him asking her to drink the amulet liquid or whatever. But is it enough to cause her change of heart at the end? That's the question, because I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, and it's just a series of events that keep building on one another. So we see Lucy, Molly X, and the others search Julie's apartment. They're greeted by Richard the Robot, who we learn was sending a feed all the while to Ethan, which then allows them to learn about Molly X's existence. And I kind of liked Lucy's just, I don't know if anger is the right word, but I think she realizes they're being played. Exactly. And then she shoots Richard and... Poor Richard. (laughs) I just, it's like, that's so cruel. Yeah. All right. So Julie mentions that they always knew the day was coming when a robot could double as a human. They just didn't think it would come this soon. I'm not sure why. Yeah, you know, given the humanics progression. <laughs> right, and, and given what they already knew about Ethan, I guess maybe they never really thought that the program would ramp up as quickly as it did because of the whole idea of the experiential factor and that take things slowly. Exactly, they wouldn't just start out as adults. Right. All right, so JD now knows the truth about who really shot him, notices that his wound is pretty much healed, and then that <laughs> that line, again, is it? classic jd line so were you going to tell me or just wait until my eyes lit up while i was shaving <laughs> yeah that's one of the best lines of the of the episode now what i love about the way this episode was structured is that you know these two storylines have then merged for like the last maybe 20 minutes of the show to a sea story which is basically the battle of one euclid yeah and what a great battle it is i mean even as we're talking about this i'm seeing all the things that they had to weave together skillfully and i think they did a great job using a lot of the different characters bringing them back if they needed to including dorothy and jd's friend so i really think it's tight tight storytelling even if you think the dialogue is a little cheesy even if you think some of the redemptions aren't earned and and some of the science is a little off you cannot argue (laughs) that this story is tight right and and again to be fair redemption maybe is a little too strong certainly they're trying to make amends you know the dialogue uh, you know a few lines here and there again uh, big deal i just like that uh, and i mentioned oceans 11 before when you have a plan and the audience is not privy to what the plan is and then it just unfolds in this almost humorous to watch kind of way i mean ethan's spider bots pretending to be hybrids was awesome (laughs) that was my favorite part and that was the very beginning of the battle yeah, and, and you know we get we get the call back to the whole Delta Wave thing, and uh, it, it was just great. All right, I get to say this next thing. Okay, <laughs> Molly, JD, Charlie walk out of the fog. JD cocks his gun one handed. I mean, does it get any more classic than that? That is your quintessential action movie sequence. <laughs> uh, it was just, and, and later when when the Humanics do essentially the same thing. We don't see the gun cocking because the bad guys don't get to do that. <laughs> they don't get to just take their shotgun and cock it by just throwing it up in the air and bringing That's it right. back down again. I love it. Yep. 
And then we see Eris and about 10 other hybrids outside one Euclid. And, you know, this is for our people. And then, as you mentioned, they use their collective powers to bring down. Uh, what, what is it they're bringing down? Just the power grid in this area or? Yeah, they're just taking out the power in this building. And it must have some kind of greater influence because I think even the Humanic Guards mention the power should have come back on by now, but it didn't. So something that they did is even more powerful than what Stanton did during their first attempt. Right. And then we see Julie, who's trying to connect to Ethan's neural network, and she's being blocked out. And of course, we assume this is Taylor. But of course, it turns out to be John. And it again turns out to be oh. a protective measure. I thought it was still Taylor at this point. But yeah, that brings up an interesting possibility. Was the firewall already starting to come into play? Right. So power comes back on. Molly knows that the hybrids are all down. And at this point, we don't know whether dead or alive, although we certainly see that uh, hybrids can come back from a mere bullet wound. Well, yeah, I actually thought that they were all going to be dead. And in fact, I think she even says something like the hybrids are down. And I thought that was the last we'd see of Ares. But of course, he's in the in the final scene. So accelerated healing. That's what I'm going to chalk it up to. <laughs> yep, yep. So and then, of course, Molly X, Lucy, two others strut into one Euclid minus the gun cocking. And then we're introduced to the server maze, which was pretty darn cool as well. Now, OK, and here we go again. It, it was a little bit faux science, all that stuff. Some recall of the binary code thing. And again, they're bringing back things from previous episodes that are coming into play. But I thought it was kind of like Indiana Jones, that kind of stuff where, yes, it's kind of over the top, but it was really kind of cool as they tried to figure out, like Charlie notices that one of the walls is a little bit glitchy. So he knows that he can go right through it. And as they start to pick apart the binary and Molly realizes that all she has to do is get to Omega, very much felt like Indiana Jones solving puzzles. Yeah, and it begs the question, I mean, does science fiction have to be so darn serious all the time? I don't think it does. No, I agree. It doesn't. And, and, and yeah, this is a perfect example. So we find that the maze, and, and they determine it pretty quickly, that it's changing. And then they realize, oh, a lot of these walls are just projections. And that, and that was pretty cool when Charlie throws the coin through and then he steps through. Yeah, and JD's having his own strategy too, where he's sprinkling things on the ground to leave himself some breadcrumbs. So they all have their different strategy. Well, I think those were shotgun pellets. Oh, right? were they? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, JD is starting to come apart at this point too, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's weakening. Uh, we're not sure what it is. I think we learned finally that it was his body rejecting the blood. And then, of course, he you know pulls through. So I guess you have to be either a mother that has had a hybrid baby in her womb or a hybrid that was born from such a mother. You can't just give someone hybrid blood and make them a hybrid, right? That's what we take from that. Or at least three or four shots of hybrid blood aren't going to do it. Okay. You know, okay. Perhaps a full, full on transfusion. I mean, who knows? We'll see that. So the, the takeover, <laughs> yeah, the takeover of the human race is going to have to come from mothers and their children, not from a, you know, medical procedure for the humans that are left on earth <laughs> right but at this point you know once we see lucy and molly x come into the building we pretty much know there's going to be a molly v molly showdown oh right? yeah that, that was clear and perhaps that's the only 
scene that I had trouble with in the whole episode. Let me, we talked about some of the criticisms that come out of this from our, our listeners in our feedback segment and elsewhere. The only part I didn't really care for was the Molly versus Molly because it's been done a thousand times before. <laughs> All right, so Molly X and Lucy encounter Charlie, and Molly shoots him in the shoulder. Well, okay, well, you know, this is what I was talking about before. Just kill him or don't kill him, but she tells Lucy to finish it, and of course then we're wondering, okay, is she going to kill Charlie, who she views fondly is probably not strong enough on many different levels. I mean, I think she is, at least as much as she can, in love with him. On the other hand, she realizes he's her creator. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the only thing that keeps her from killing him right away. And the only reason it got extended, his life, is because she asked Taylor, I've got the amulet. What should I do with it? And he tells her to ingest it. So coming on the heels of him promoting Molly X to commander, and now he's, she's been asked to do it. She does it, which is, I think, very telling for her. She actually does follow Taylor's command. But that's why I think she doesn't kill Charlie, because now she's not sure if she trusts the higher power, as she calls him. Right. And her emotional struggle has begun, you know, because, look, it took a lot for her to swallow that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't belittle that just because she essentially here's the problem that I think some people have. She ends up turning to the good side, but. In giving up the amulet, she's essentially killing herself anyway. So either way, she's dead. And we've seen her be very self-serving throughout the series. So the idea that she would kill herself in helping these other people is the only thing that makes people go, hmm, would she do that really? Good point. And did you see the fake amulet coming? I did not. No, me either. Charlie did some 3D printer action. (laughs) Yep. So, all right. So he's trying to reason with Lucy. Taylor doesn't care about you. You know, you're replaceable. And, you know, he reminds her again that he didn't put limiters on her, which essentially gives her free will. And I think that's something that we can't overlook. Like, you know, when you were just saying, does that seem reasonable that she would essentially kill herself to save the humans and hybrids? Well, I think since she does say, I feel something, I feel free. So perhaps she didn't ever feel like she had free will from the get-go, or at least once she ran into Taylor, perhaps she felt that her destiny was determined. So that's the only freedom she was able to achieve was by sacrificing herself. So there is that. Right. And the idea, can we give machines free will? Yeah. Can that even happen? Yeah. All right. So Molly reaches the server room searching for a port. You need help? (laughs) Molly X asks her. I'll give you this line. (laughs) (laughs) My least favorite line of the episode. One thing I hate is a cocky robot. That was one of my favorite lines. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That was so cheesy. But, you know, it was basically like something out of an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. And you can't fault her for that because it certainly was an action packed scene. (laughs) But see, I love homages to other films. (laughs) And, And I thought that was great. All right. So JD appears. He doesn't know which one to shoot. And then all of a sudden he just fires off like three or four rounds into one of them. Oh my God. How did you know? It's your eyes. Okay. No fewer than three of our listener feedback emails are about this scene (laughs) and how it just doesn't really make sense that JD, A, wouldn't have arranged something ahead of time to know which Molly it was. 
and B, that Molly didn't fire up her yellow eyes. <laughs> right. And yet he still refers to the eyes. That's what makes it even harder to deal, to deal with, that he deals with the eyes and yet not in the way we would hope. All right. So they're alone in the server room. Taylor tries to talk Molly out of inserting the amulet. And I, I don't mean this in a negative manner. I love this because, again, as I just said, I love the homage to 2001 and, and Dave dismantling Hal. Uh, yeah, very good. Dave? <laughs> Bicycle built for two. <laughs> exactly, when he reverts to childhood, so to speak. Yep. All right, so he's using basically the burn-it-all, start-over model with the machines as Earth caretakers until life crawls out of the ocean again as his justification for wiping out the humans and hybrids. That is the long game right there. Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting it to be that as his mission, that he was going to start all the way over with evolution and in order to keep with his original mission that John and Calderon gave him. Yeah. Well, it turns out Molly X is only mostly dead. And, and <laughs> New model. <laughs> right. And Molly has learned she pulls X's plug. You're not the only one who's evolving. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that on the rewatch, what she means by that. Does that simply mean, you know, I learned from before with Ethan pulling Lucy's plug? I think it's more the fact that she was able to just reach in and grab it with her brute strength. Okay. That she actually was able to just reach in and... and pull out the it's basically like reaching into someone's rib cage and pulling out their heart that's not something the average human can do but how about the average hybrid yeah good point <laughs> lucy comes in she's got the amulet but I, yeah i don't think it was totally unexpected she hands it to molly tells her how to find the port fortunately molly didn't dilly dally and just <laughs> yeah. put it in the port and it, then we see lucy and ethan start to glitch as julie's furiously trying to type, I guess, some sort of workaround that she thinks is going to save Ethan. But, of course, everything she's doing is pointless. It's what John had done back in the beginning that yeah. saves Ethan. And that was pretty cool. I, I like when they play with our expectations and we think, is this it for Ethan? And then, you know, out of the blue, the initials JW, John Woods, pop up. And we know that John has prepared for just about everything, really. <laughs> yeah. So... Everything's starting to shut down. Molly's helping JD. We see Charlie cradling Lucy, who tells him, you know, as you mentioned, that she's finally free. Julie tells Ethan to stay with her, you know, and then we, in the Humanic Lab, we see emergency startup, hard boot, and one of the Humanics is waking. Yeah, and we we're like, what the heck? I thought this was going to prevent them from being able to even start back up again. So obviously... We know that one Humanic has survived, and we don't know at this point what form that will take. Right. And, you know, the little hugging scene with, with Ethan and Molly I thought was really touching, kind of reinforces that, you know, that next step in the evolutionary cycle. You know, she's a hybrid, he's a Humanic, and, and you know, of course, the human race, it's like, hey, don't forget about us. <laughs> That's right. We're still here. Yeah, especially since there don't appear to be that many hybrids left, at least in this area of the world, but areas in some of them are okay. Exactly. So so we get to the closing scene and wow, on the one hand, really powerful. On the other hand, I wasn't sure about the timing. I mean, how quickly did this news conference? Yeah, yeah, me too. It was difficult on a couple of levels because obviously not too much time could have passed, but everyone now knows what's happening. Molly's going against what Toby had originally told her to do at the beginning of the season where she lied about aliens coming to Earth 
Now she's telling the truth about what happened in space and the aftermath of all of it. But what's a little bit weird for me is that she was a wanted fugitive until not that long ago. (laughs) So was she able to clear everything up that quickly? So you're a little more of a deeper thinker than I am because I'm thinking like, okay, a press conference of this importance, wouldn't she have dressed a little better? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the superficial elements here. Yeah. But no, like you said, it's exactly true. And, and, you know, she has heiress stand up, you know, and that, that whole line about the fact that we're not all so different, uh, you know, it was a moving line. And, and, and I guess what struck me there is that you hope heiress has bought in. Right. And it's not it's not the angry heiress that, that we knew from before. But then the final scene, we're in this coffee shop. And again, I'm trying to think, OK, is Eureka meaningful or is it just a name? <laughs> it's another <laughs> sci-fi show. Does that help? <laughs> What's with the EU beginnings? All right. So anyway, so, you know, Molly's presser is on the television in the background. The clerk responding to the television says, aliens, what's next? <laughs> and then she calls out the order that's ready. Taylor. And for the first time in the history of mankind, a barista has spelled Taylor correctly. (laughs) Yes. Now, we don't see his face. He's wearing clothes, clearly to mask his identity, because you can see it's warm weather. Other people are wearing short sleeves and shorts, and he's got the trench coat, the hat, gloves, I believe, which leads me to believe, what is he hiding? You know, is there something wrong? Yeah. Yeah with his hands isn't he a humanic with actual skin or perhaps not maybe he's unfinished his body right but i tell you i have to give him credit i did not know what this was until the moment that coffee with the name taylor showed up i had no clue i was no and so that was a great ending so basically what you have here is you've got the molly news conference as kind of an epilogue in case it's a series finale And then you've got this Taylor scene at the end, just in case it's not a series finale. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's brilliant. (laughs) So, well, we're left with a lot of questions, obviously. Okay. If we were doing nitpicks, how did Molly X come to have on the same outfit as Molly? (laughs) Yeah. Didn't she change clothes or something? It's like. I mean, how did they know? But all right. (laughs) Now, have we seen the last of Lucy? I think so. There aren't too many conclusions for a lot of our characters, protagonists and antagonists. We lost Stanton, which is no big surprise. But yeah, Lucy is is one that I will mourn because we really liked Kiersey Clemens as an actress in this one, and I'll miss that character. I will too. And and obviously there's that possibility because she is a humanic that we could justifiably see her again. Oh yeah, easily. <laughs> right. So whether or not we will, uh, what happened to the virus containers that were on the planes? Oh, good question. That is kind of a loose end. <laughs> uh, who's going to take over? I think this is a much more important loose end. Who's going to take over the GSC? JD? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, because they could start over. I mean, like they had the um, ISEA in season one and they had GSC in this one. It doesn't have to be the same group, you know? Well, right. Although at her press conference, you did see the emblem behind her was GSC. Oh, yeah. The press conference was. I'm just saying season three doesn't have to center around the GSC. Exactly. Uh, for the shippers, is Dorothy going to return? Well, she I think she probably ended up being a more sympathetic character than you would have thought. So I wouldn't mind seeing her again. Yeah. Now, I think one of the biggest question marks, and, and you know, we both alluded to this, how's the human race going to handle the fact that the hybrids can read minds among other powers that they have? I think that's what the writers have to exploit. 
this is the theme you need to go with for season three. Cause I think it would be very interesting to, to work this angle. Cause you could still do the extant idea. You could still be like, do the humans accept the hybrids offer of taking them on the next evolutionary step, a la childhood's end, <laughs> or do the humans want to remain their own separate species and not become extinct? So right. still got that same theme going. Right. And I think the beauty of it is that I, I think what we know, if they go down that road, which I suspect they would, you're going to have factions that are just died in the wool, save the human race at all costs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And civil war. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then how will Ethan be viewed as the only humanic? Because we don't know about Taylor at this point. Bring back Frankie. Well, <laughs> she wasn't a humanic. She was a syndiate. So I think exactly. she's still around too. Yeah. Which would be cool. So uh, a lot of questions. And like you said, I mean, if this is it, I'll be disappointed, but I'll feel fulfilled. Yeah. It's kind of like how I feel about defiance as well. <laughs> Good finale. Could be series. Hoping it's only season. Well, we've got a lot of thoughts from our listeners, too, to share. So let's go ahead and get into our listener feedback segment. And I just want to start off by mentioning, Dave, that Davo the Geek gave us some feedback and it got cut off in the first sentence. So Davo, sorry about that. I didn't actually get to hear your full thoughts, but maybe next time. Uh, but we did hear from Mindy again. She started giving her feedback last week. And this week she says, when Molly X tried to kill JD, I was sure that JD and real Molly would come up with a code word. Should JD ever run into Molly X again? When he was facing off with the two Mollies, why didn't he just ask her to make her hybrid eyes glow? And why was Molly X standing there waiting for JD to make his first move? Why didn't she shoot him first? I guess, I think JD did have the drop on them. I'm going to have to answer that final question first. But obviously Mindy has the same concerns that we did about that scene. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, we also heard from Corey who says, okay, note to self. If you see a copy of yourself, one that is evil, change clothes and have a safe word. <laughs> It'll help save your life. Also, in this century, we can hack into security cameras. You would think Taylor would be monitoring all video feeds, especially around Julie's house, since they're friends. They need to watch some cop shows. But all in all, I like this show. Yeah, and I like this because obviously we know, just like the stormtroopers in Star Wars, the bad guys make stupid mistakes. So let's just leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> but our, our good friend, our good cynical friend, Leo... <laughs> Uh, also wrote to us this week. He says, this has been a week of anticipation with the finale of Extant, the return of Continuum, and the kickoff of football. Wednesday night, I settled down with my pen, paper, and popcorn for two hours of Extant. After watching the finale, I have one word. Meh. Here are my thoughts, nitpicks, problems with the final episodes. One, once again, a wanted fugitive walks away because no one is actually looking. Stanton specifically tells Lucy to secretly listen to, but not secretly watch, her conversation with Ethan. Somehow, and I am rolling my eyes, Ethan just walks away from the meeting in broad daylight. I guess he really is Molly's son. She has done this repeatedly this season. And don't tell me it's because Ethan has a friend protecting him like Molly did. Taylor was apparently omnipresent. Now, second... Molly X's first task is to track down JD and Molly. She finds JD at Julie's apartment almost immediately. So if she knew where to find him, she should have known that Molly had been there and was going to return. 
When Molly returns, she finds JD, nurses JD, explains the situation to JD, and makes plans with JD. Escaped Julie, fugitive Ethan, and no longer suicidal Charlie. Molly X and her men storm into the apartment after Molly leaves? Why wasn't Molly X simply waiting down the hall? (laughs) And by the way, did they really need to kill Richard? Come on, Richard! (laughs) I found the entire Molly X storyline cliched. You didn't need Molly's psychic powers to predict that JD would be forced to choose the real Molly while both women implored, it's me, it's me. Of all the times for Molly's eyes to turn yellow, she and the writers chose to rely on JD's ability to see the twinkle in Molly's eyes. And I guess pretty much everyone who's given feedback agrees on that point. To quote comic book guy from The Symptoms, worst name ever, Molly X. Thoughts on the season and the series. As I said at the beginning of this season, I really wasn't a huge fan of Extant. The show, like the finale, was okay. The show under or misused good talents like Louis Gossett Jr., Cameron Mannheim, Richard Chee Jones, and Keith David. And in the end, it was derivative of many sci-fi ideas and didn't provide a fresh take on the ideas. You guys are the only reason I continued to watch Extant. I truly mean that. You both are insightful and intelligent and provided an excellent discussion. If only there was a great continuum podcast for me to listen and contribute to. Hmm. Yeah, that might be a nice outlet for you there, Leo. Yeah, but we really appreciate it. You know, uh, those thoughts that, uh, you know, makes it worthwhile what we do. That's right. And, you know, I get where you're coming from on, on almost everything. I guess the only thing I would disagree with, I like Molly X, that name. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, we also heard from Nana T., who says, hi, Mike and Dave. I've loved listening to your podcast throughout this season, and I thought now was the best time to chime in with my thoughts, especially considering it could very well be the last time. Fingers crossed it isn't. What an epic finale. This entire season has been stellar and much more engaging for me than season one. Now, despite this season's many flaws, it did manage to achieve every television show's main objective, which is to be entertaining. And man, was this an entertaining journey. And, you know, We've said that at the crux of it all. Look, every show has flaws. Is it entertaining? And for me, and I've mentioned many times, my attention span seems to be getting shorter as the years (laughs) go by. And when I look up and we're 40 minutes into the show, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. I think Nana T, you've really nailed it here. The fact that it's entertaining is what we should come away with this from, even despite all the tropes and all the cheesy lines and things like that. In the end, it was a fun, fun ride. That causes us to think. That causes us to think. Yes, exactly. That's a a key ingredient. Yep. And man, was this an entertaining journey. There were so many moving parts, but I really enjoyed watching Molly versus Molly, the real cool VR chat room that Molly and Fiona were in. And Ray, that guy needs to join the team permanently. Oh, is that his name? Ray? Uh, Oh, we finally get his name. Okay. okay. That's JD's friend. Okay. I don't want him now. He (laughs) bailed on him. Yeah. I loved all the characters that we met this season. I'm happy to see that many of them remained extant despite all odds. Oh, nicely done. (laughs) Though I'm sad to have to say goodbye to Tobias, Fiona, and Adu. With the end of this season, a lot of questions remain, including how do Julie and Charlie and perhaps even Ethan factor into a season three if the tv gods bless us with another season i doubt they're going to relaunch the humanix program i mean i wouldn't i <laughs> uh, see i'm thinking like almost how could you not <laughs> yeah exactly somehow the humanix have to come back into play you can't right. leave them out I, I mean there's going to be somebody that sees the value and it's probably going to be the military again i, I think it's going to be taylor he's going to 
create them and they're going to become independent somehow. I don't know. Yep. Also, how is humanity going to deal with the announcement of alien hybrids with freaky powers now walking the earth? What happens to Calderon? Yeah, right, because he's not dead. Yeah, he's just in prison. Maybe he'll get free too. And if Molly's able to give a press conference, surely Calderon can be freed and released of all those charges. Yep. And will we see his robot wife Frankie again? That's that's certainly your idea. Oh, I think a lot of people keyed into that. I'm I'm happy to know I'm not alone on that. Okay. I loved her despite the limited screen time we had with her. I want to just add that I love the Taylor twist and how cleverly the writers foreshadowed it with his tell me what did you have for breakfast line to Lucy only to have Taylor with a body ordering a coffee at the end. I didn't think about that at all. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's really great. Nanity. I love that because I'm thinking like it was just such a random line. Yeah, that's good. It was foreshadowed. Nice job. That guy always has a backup plan. And it was interesting to notice how long he'd been planning this for. My personal theory, though it is really something I thought would be cool, is if Taylor created for himself a body that looked like John Woods. Oh, gosh. His creator. That would be awesome. Imagine the drama. Anyways, (laughs) thanks for a great podcast this season, and here's hoping for an even greater one next season. Can you imagine that? Okay. Garan Viznich, we're going to take you out, kill your character, but don't worry, we're calling you back in for season three. Oh, my gosh, that would be unexpected, but... We got to end, of course, with Barb's great, great audio feedback. She's been a great fan of this podcast, great fan of the show, and she's always got great thoughts. So let's go ahead and hear what she has to say. Hi, Mike and Dave. This is Barb calling in with feedback on the season finale of Extant. I'm giving the Seppi nine cups of coffee for Taylor. The two-hour finale was packed with action and storyline resolution, and overall I was very satisfied with both the season and the finale. I thought that the writers did a good job of wrapping this up so that there could be either a season or a series finale if Extant is not renewed for a third season, but I really hope that it is. Now, there were a few points that I thought were not adequately answered, including the following. Number one, if J.D. rejected Molly's alien blood, then how did he manage to heal and not die? Because you would think that he would either heal and become an alien or he would reject the blood and he would die. So I thought that that was a bit weak. But J.D. asking Molly why she did it without giving him a choice was a solid question. I really was sorry that they didn't have a chance to explore that free will concept, which I believe is what they were alluding to. Number two, Lucy may have died in Charlie's arms feeling free, but I didn't think that she earned a redemptive arc in that finale. As smart as Lucy was, she surely should have known that she would die if she helped the real Molly stop Taylor. Number three, Ares was shown all smiling and happy and loving his new planet and Molly at the end of the show during her press conference. But he has always been the rebel. So I found it very hard to believe that he would suddenly become part of this group hug mentality at the end. He had too much anger in him to do that. And I think that that would be something that would be interesting to explore in another season. And then finally, number four, whatever happened to Calderon and to Frankie? Did Calderon build a firewall for Frankie the way that John built one for Ethan? Or if he didn't, did he lose Frankie? And would that be enough to make him turn to the dark side, although he would certainly see that coming? And I think that what we believed when we saw the last episode was that he knew that that could be a potential consequence of his actions. 
but I think that it would still be fun to explore. So it seems that Taylor downloaded himself into a humanic body before he was made extinct. And I wonder how he would react as a free machine in the human world. He has always been behind all these faux walls, as we found out, and locked inside a building. And all of a sudden now he's going to have this human experience the same way that the humanics had this human experience. So that's what I really hope that we get to see in Season 3 and how we watch him evolve and watch him try to rebuild his humanic society and see what he would do to try and probably get some retaliation against the humans who, and the hybrids who killed him. I also wonder how the hybrids would adapt to the real world. And I think that there would be people that would be suspicious and that would attempt to eliminate the hybrids. And knowing that they, that we have aliens among us, I think that that would evoke some type of fear and that there would be people that would be out to kill them. Um, I think that's sort of a normal human reaction. Um, and it wouldn't be a very comforting thought to them. So I really do help, hope that we get to see this play out in a season three. Mike, it was great to meet you in person at Dragon Con. And you're going to need to convince Dave that he's missing out on an amazing experience. And he's going to have to show up one time with all the rest of the Golden Spiral Media team and fans. So thanks to both of you for all your work on this podcast. I'm looking forward to catching up with both of you for next year and a season three of Extant. So this is Barb signing out and wondering if my firewall is as strong as Ethan's. Okay, great. And I did very much enjoy meeting Barb at DragonCon. That was a lot of fun. Uh, But she has a lot of points that I guess we can just go through a couple of them here, Dave. She wants to know how did JD heal if his blood was rejected? I assume that it was in his body just long enough to give him those healing effects before it got rejected, right? Yeah, that's what I would say. And that, that, you know, he went through a period of, I guess, a fairly high fever, but just his body fought it off. Now, she mentions the whole idea of the redemptive arc with Lucy, feeling that she didn't really earn hers. And then just even to progress into her next point about Eris' turn was too quick and easy. And I guess I might argue that time was of the essence in all of this. These people didn't have a lot of time to, say, earn a redemption. It was either now or never. Yeah, and in our podcast, during the discussion we just have been having, I think I've come around on Lucy earning it. I think she did earn it. They gave enough little hints along the way. Aries maybe was a little bit too quick and easy, but I think he had enough people, including Tara, that were of the other, the more Adu view, that he probably just, maybe him coming around was inevitable. Well, and I think also, again, it really was now or never. I think he, if nothing else, is an intelligent man. And while he probably had some reservations, I think at the end he decided this is our best option for survival. Exactly. He saw that it was very dangerous what the humanics were doing. He probably was so focused on the humans that he couldn't really see the true enemy. And that's what changed his mind. So she wanted to know also in that audio, how will Taylor react to his freedom to move about? And that is a great theme to explore in addition to the ones we've mentioned with regard to the hybrids as well. And she also was saying there at the end, how will the hybrids adapt and how will humans adapt to them? And it appears that Barb agrees with me on that being a great issue to perhaps save for the next season. But wow, what a great bunch of thoughts that we had from our listeners. And we gave you a little bit of bonus material here for a double episode to end out our podcast season as well. And it's been a blast. 
But that's going to be it for this season of the Extant Podcast, but we're not done yet. Check your feeds next week for some very special post-season content as we debrief season two with Extant's executive producers. And keep in touch. We're still at Extant GSM on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash groups slash Extant Podcast throughout the hiatus. And Mike and I will be back next season if there is one. But in the meantime, be sure to check out our other podcasts. Continuum Season 4 just started, and we're breaking it down at continuumpodcast.com. And we'll be jumping into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. again for Season 3 in just a few weeks at thesandboxpodcast.com with Golden Spiral Media. And as we go into the hiatus, please tell us how you think we did with our extant discussion this season by rating and reviewing us in iTunes. And remember, hashtag renewextant. extant.